Welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As you listen, ask questions, and enjoy the show, remember, this podcast is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Elevated Voices Podcast special guest for today is Eric Griminger, an author, motivational speaker, and a certified drug and alcohol counselor. Eric is a graduate of Villanova University's counseling program, and he earned his Bachelor's of Science in Psychology from Drexel, which focused on behavioral neuroscience. With being in long-term recovery himself, Eric is committed to helping as many people overcome addiction, leading him to become the co-founder of ERP Health, a digital behavioral health company which saves and transforms lives by personalizing addiction treatment. Eric's mission is to help people to discover their innate potential and to let them know that a diagnosis does not have to determine their destiny. Welcome, Eric. It's a pleasure having you on the show. I'm honored. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for your commitment in helping individuals overcome addiction. I mean, I really, really, really love your mission by educating and empowering others in recovery. Not only do they know that they can live a meaningful life with a substance abuse diagnosis, but you are living proof of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really where my passion stems from. You know, I've personally been in the throes of addiction, didn't think that there was a way out. And then slowly but surely, with the help of many other people and kind of um, really a, a program that I've learned through experience, through education. But this is the way that I, you know, I like to package what I teach. It, it always comes from my experience as a person in long-term recovery and what I learned through uh experimentation, but also packaged in enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. Right? Because I think that's the secret sauce. And when you really touch people and, you know, live this, live an incredible life yourself, other people are looking on and they're like, I want what that person had. Yeah. And I want to attract people to this way of life because I've seen so many people get this and recover. Uh, but I want to see more. I want to see, uh, I want to see this really take hold. Yeah. And you can hear the passion in your voice. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> so recovery is hard. You know, sometimes people don't get it right the first time. And a lot of people, when they don't get it right the first time, it's like, man, they lose that sense of hope. They lose that sense of passion and strength. And it's like, I give up. And so like, how do you take all of that energy, all of your education, that personal experience, and serve that up to someone who's saying, Eric, man, look, I tried that, dude. I'm not doing that, man. Do you know how hard this is? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and number one, you always have to meet people where they're at. And, and recovery is a process. I love the way that SAMHSA, so SAMHSA defines recovery in a very specific way. And I think it's the best definition that's out there. And of course, SAMHSA, just, just for the uh, listeners, is considered one of the, the highest governing bodies in the uh, mental health and substance abuse space. So this, you know, this isn't just a definition that I'm pulling out of the sky here, but they define uh, recovery as a process of change through which an individual improves their health and wellness, lives a self-directed life, and strives to reach their fullest potential. Wow. That last part, as long as you're striving to reach your fullest potential, of course, sometimes you're going to fall down. It's an iterative process. But as long as you don't stay down, be willing to get up. And then we have to be there to support people and recognize, like, I see you putting in that effort. I believe in you. And I'm going to be here, right? Right. And I'm, and I'm going to be here. I'm not going to give up on you. And that that touches people. It goes beyond conscious. Like, that touches people in their spirit. Right. And that's where we have to get to. You know, I think um, really the way that we um, explain what recovery is, because I mean, what constitutes success? It's waking up with passion every day, in my opinion, striving to be a better version of yourself than you were yesterday. And if you can meet that criteria and just try it, that's a win in my book. You know, we, we could work on everything else, but as long as you'll keep trying, we'll figure it out. Eric, you did a really good job at describing different methods and different techniques and tools that individuals can use in your book. Yeah. Speak a little bit about the inspiration to creating your book. I can remember sitting across the desk from from an expert, from a practitioner, a licensed mental health professional, and then essentially giving me a diagnosis of having a brain disorder. Right. That's what addiction is, a chronic relapsing brain disorder characterized by con continuous drug seeking and use despite harmful consequences. However, I didn't know, like, what does that mean? So I have a brain disorder, but you're not really telling me how to reclaim the brain. And that's the title of my book. If my, my brain's been, quote, hijacked, which is a very common term people use for addiction, your brain, their brain's hijacked. It's not them. Well, how do I reclaim it? How do I take the ship back? And in order to really get a grip around that, you have to understand there's a few key players when it comes to the brain, parts of the brain. And what I've done in the book, and it took four years to write the book, tremendous amount of research went into it. I'm very proud of that. I really went through the rigors of science, but I was also able to ascribe emojis. So just like you have on your phone emojis, I ascribed emojis to the main brain areas and how they work. And I'll just give you a brief example. So there's, there's, if you ever dive into the addiction literature, there's always, it'll always come up. It's called the nucleus accumbent. It's the lower part of your striatum. And that's the part of your brain that gets fueled up with dopamine and says, I need this. It's an impulse, right? So I give it the high five emoji. So I could imagine this giving me a high five saying, let's go, right? But then there's a part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, specifically the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, that usually says, hold on, let's check if this is a good idea. So the acronym that I use is WAIT, W-A-I-T. So this part of your brain is responsible for working memory, attention, inhibitory control, that's the I, and T, task switching. So when you have an impulse and you could know, hey, this is just my high five emoji. I don't have to go get high right now. I don't have to get a drink. Let me check with the nerd emoji that has the glasses on. The nerd emoji is the prefrontal cortex. It's the one that says, wait, 
maybe we need to switch tasks right now and distract. How can I, you know, inhibit this impulse and that buffer between stimulus and response? That's cognitive behavioral therapy. That's really where a lot of the, you know, the behavioral therapies come in, you being able to do something differently rather than just run on impulse. Right. So, and that's what I really go into the book after that chapter where I explain the main brain parts. And then I'll just, you know, touch on chapter one, goal setting. So when you wake up in the morning, you have to have a why. If not, it's easy to say, why not? Yes. If you don't have a why, it's easy to say, why not? Why not have that extra piece of pizza? Why not, you know, if I had a long day at work, isolate from my family? But if I have a why, I want to have an incredible marriage. I want to be in the best shape of my life. Then that's going to guide my decisions. And this is very much applicable for addiction as well. When you're, it's not what you're stopping, it's what you're starting. It's what you're working towards. I've been told I've done a really good job of bringing in science to a very practical place where anybody could pick up that book and be like, I can relate this to my life and I could apply these tips and techniques. Definitely. And you did do a great job breaking it down. Our field, the addiction and alcohol arena, we don't do enough of that. We throw these big terms at people and we never take the time to break it down for the person to understand. But sometimes we fail to realize that even though we have an adult sitting in front of us, what is the condition of their brain? How much damage has been done? And are they truly processing and retaining the information that we are passionate about, right? We're, we're really, really passionate about it. We really, really, really want to help. But like you said, Eric, are we meeting them where they are? And if we cannot break things down in order for them to get it, in order for that light bulb to come on in their head, yep. we're doing them a disservice. I agree 100%. It's really something that we, we, we do have to take an honest look and say, look, our job is not to be the experts in the room. This is supposed to be a collaborative process. And to collaborate means that we find common ground verbally, culturally, like everybody comes from somewhere different. When I, when I meet practitioners and I'm like, oh, they're good. It's because they've taken you know, a few moments to establish, and I'm go- even going to throw this term around, but that therapeutic alliance, right? We use that oh, yeah. a lot. But essentially what that is, if you break it down, is the ability to actively listen and have a diverse, en- a diverse enough portfolio be good enough where you could, in the moment, identify where the person across from you is and get to that place through metaphors, through analogies, through body language, mirroring their body language. There's a lot of ways to do it. And I, I, I really have a privilege. Um, I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of training uh, these days around that. But it's so important. I'm so glad that you brought that up. It is. It is. You also, Eric, you brought up another important point. In your book, you talk about the difference in recovery and allowing individuals to understand your recovery process is going to be different and is going to look different and is going to feel different. But not only that, we as the professionals sometimes get boxed in and sometimes we fail again to meet the person where they are sometimes and really sit back and say, what do you need? And again, collaboratively working to get there. 
because I wholeheartedly feel that that individual is the driver of the treatment. They are the expert. Yeah, they're the experts in their life. Yeah. Recovery looks different for each person. Uh So for me, in my recovery, that might be being abstinent completely. However, in another person's recovery, that might be harm reduction. And your book did a really good job at addressing the difference in recovery and not trying to force someone into a cookie cutter definition of what we feel it should look like. Yeah, thank you for noticing that. I was I wanted to be very deliberate about that. Even the case studies that I used, of course, with the client's permission, very diverse because I've seen it. I mean, we have to have a menu of options, but people respond to this menu of options. Like harm reduction works for a lot of people. Abstinence, of course, works for a lot of people as well. Trauma-focused yoga was like that one thing that they had needed after all those years of trying. And and I had to overcome my own biases as a practitioner and as a person in recovery that worked what worked for me. Of course, I'm like, man, I want everybody to experience what I experienced. So it would make perfect sense that you should go the exact same path. And then when I when I dove into the literature and I really started preparing for this book, but also some other things that I've done, I'm like, wow. What a real eye-opener. People respond to many different types of treatment. And when I embraced that, it allowed me to be so much more flexible, uh, but also help a lot more people. Yes. And they, people were responding to different treatment modalities and, and more and more are coming out. So I think what we have to approach this with an open mind and say, you know, I'm not just going to not listen because it doesn't align with my idea of recovery. Right. Right. And thank you for sharing that. That's very important for listeners to know and understand. One size don't fit all. It's okay to try different things until you until you get what makes sense to you. Yeah. You have been in long term recovery for many, many years. Uh What led up to your addiction? I often reflect back. And I, I mean, I, I grew up in a loving home, a single parent home. I have two younger sisters. We're all one year apart. And it was just an, a loving, happy home. You know, we had a good time. And really, I just started kind of drinking and using drugs recreationally, just like, you know, would be kind of expected of a teenager. As kind of time went on, I'd wake up in the morning. and I'd be like, Oh, I can't believe I did that last night. Kind of like joking, you know, a few more years would go by, I'd wake up like, what did I do last night? Why would I? And then a few more years gone by. And before I know it, I'm doing things that I don't want to do, getting results that I don't want to get. My friends are progressing, you know, through college, getting into relationships. And I was just never wanted the uh, the party to end. You know, looking back, there's certainly a genetic component to, to my story. Like it, it runs in my family uh, years down the line. I didn't really know anybody, but you find this stuff out later. I think that played a part. Sometimes it could be two people from the same community who've been friends, raised in a very similar way. One person starts drinking, they turn into an addict. The other person doesn't. Mm -hmm. And what happens, what happened to me and been consistent with other people who've told me is you start saying, well, this person's going to college. Meanwhile, I kind of can't get my stuff together. Something must be wrong with me. What's wrong with me? So you don't have clarity. And then your cognition gets bad. You're like, well, if you ask your a question like, what's wrong with me? 
why aren't I as good as my friends? Your brain has to come up with an answer. And my brain would say, because you're a loser, you're you're a fool, you're it was nothing good. So then I was saying bad things to myself, which led to bad chemistry, meaning that I was anxious. You know, when you there's psychosomatic symptoms. When you say bad things to yourself on repeat, you start to feel bad. Yeah. I didn't like myself, so I isolated. So then connection. So when I do my uh, presentations, I do a four C method training: clarity, cognition, chemistry, and connection. And if you don't have clarity, your cognition will be bad, your chemistry will be bad, and you won't want to connect. And then I isolated and didn't get the help that I needed, which made me have even worse self-talk, worse chemistry. And before I know it, I was in that spiral that uh, you often hear people with addiction like, how did this happen? I was moving all over the country trying to run away from it rather than going within, Mm -hmm. dealing with my own troubles. I'm not exactly sure like how it started, but it's it wasn't a decision where I was like, I recognize that I'm getting into addiction. I'm going to keep moving forward. Yeah. It was like before I knew it, um, my life was totally unmanageable as it related to drugs and alcohol to the point where I couldn't even attribute the unmanageability to the drugs and alcohol. That was the solution for years, in my opinion. It wasn't the problem. That was the solution. Where I was from was the problem. My family was the problem. My friends were the problem. Everybody was a problem. Not the drugs and alcohol, though, and not me. I didn't have to work on myself. So, of course, you know, the foundational elements of my recovery was starting with me and cleaning up my side of the street and kind of getting that that right and and not running from this thing, accepting and uh, surrendering to the fact that I had this, you know, I had addiction and that, that led to a whole lot of awesome things. But it took years to get there. Right. Accepting and taking ownership of the problem is one of the hardest things for someone who is struggling with a substance addiction to identify and to to say and to verbalize. I appreciate you sharing a little bit about your story because most people think that if this person has an addiction, that they come from a dysfunctional family, Mm -hmm. that they are surrounded by drugs and alcohol, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, when you form an addiction, most of the time it's from experimenting and not realizing that that experimental phase is stage one of addiction. And before you know it, it transitions into abuse. And then it transitions into addiction, independency. What used to be fun is now I need this every day to function. But then also addiction can also stem from some form of a trauma as well. And being able to, like you said, isolate from the pain. So it all forms and comes together. One thing that I appreciate very much about, you know, the Elevated Voices podcast and having this this medium is when we talk about it openly and share our, our diverse experiences with addiction, it starts to normalize it because stigma kills. When people don't feel like they they can be like, you know what, I have a problem. And I feel comfortable saying that because I, I had the opportunity to listen to this podcast and I heard whether it was me or somebody else's experience. And I feel like, hey, if, if that person can do it and they're open about their experiences with addiction. 
you know, it could, it could be very easy to be like, you know, my, I got my stuff together and I'm just going to forget that ever happens. And I respect people that go that route. Of course, everybody has their path. But I also feel, I mean, we had 88,000 overdose deaths just this past year. Yes. I want to be like, look, recovery is possible. And, and, and I think the more that we get this out there, not just that recovery is possible, but I've experienced addiction. It looks like me. And then somebody else get their hand up. It looks like me. It looks like all of us. All right. But recovery is possible. Vulnerability is strength. Be it vulnerable. Is. Vulnerability is one of the high, one of the highest forms of strength. Being willing to ask for help. Being willing to be like, you know what? I've been trying for years to hide this, to figure it out by myself. I'm not going to hide it anymore. Just because I tried one thing doesn't mean I won't try something else. And if they get that out of this podcast, what a blessing that would be. Huh? It is. It is. And what you said is amazing, Eric, because a lot of people are afraid to take that step and are afraid to verbalize, hey, I do have a problem because of the stigma, because of the shame, because of people pointing Uh their finger and looking down on them instead of saying, you know what, I was there and extending their hand and saying, how can I be of service? How can I help you make this amazing, positive change in your life? Because recovery is so amazing. Yes. It's a process. Okay. Please do not get me wrong. It is a process. But when you get it, you got it. Oh, yeah. It's the best best feeling. It's worth whatever you have to go through to get there. You're right. It is a process. But there's a system to it as well. You can wake up grateful every morning. Hey, there's a lot of beautiful things that go along with it that I call my recovery now, right? Like everything's my recovery. The way I treat my, my wife is my recovery. The way, you know, that I, that I take care of myself, the way that I speak to people, the way that I serve, all of that folds in under this umbrella of recovery. And that inspires me. That gets me up and going every day because I love that definition. I'll go back to by Samson, right? A process of change through which an individual improves their health and wellness, lives a self-directed life, and strives to reach their fullest potential. Oh, yeah. What a, oh, that's yeah. what I want to be a part of. <laughs> Everybody needs to want to, but should want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. Recovery with a purpose. With a purpose. With a purpose. You yeah. have to have a purpose. Yep. And that activates, that's what I talk about in the book, that activates that dopamine, that same th- stuff we were going for with the cheap synthetic $5 stuff you could get. If you're hardwired to experience that through natural means, you could get high in your own supply. You could get up, move your body, treat people well, hug those closest to you, activate those neurochemicals that we were you know, essentially going for with the drugs and alcohol. So you can still get the effect without all the negative consequences through positive behavioral processes. That's really what I tried to nail in the book. I put these neuro notes where I explain what's happening in the brain. I'm not just suggesting you do this. I'll explain to you what's going on biochemically as well. Yeah. And you, again, did a phenomenal job with it. And I shared your book with many people. And I say to them, if you really want a simplified version Minus all of the BS, read this, read this book. It will literally change your life. It's so amazing being able to have someone not only say, oh, you can change. Recovery is possible, but 
using yourself, your own experience and saying, hey, guys, I am what recovery looks like. Recovery is me. And I am not ashamed of that. What positive advice can you share with listeners who may be struggling in their recovery? Vulnerability is a strength. So if you're struggling, that implies, you know, you could use a hand, right? So you don't have to struggle alone. You don't have to struggle in isolation. I'll share my information. Feel free to reach out directly. Like there's millions of us who are thriving in recovery, who are really experiencing the, the enthusiasm, the the growth that uh, that we've been, you know, talking about throughout this podcast. So I would say, number one, you know, reach out. Number two, grab the book. The chapters are goals, beliefs, skills, health, relationships, and community. And each chapter kind of has action steps that could be taken. It, it's a prescriptive book. It's not a book where it's like, hey, I'm describing what it is. It's very much like, this is what I've used in my own life, these strategies. What I've been able to replicate with thousands of people who I've had the absolute privilege to coach or to counsel or, you know, to implement, a, you know, my program at different centers around the country. So I've, I've seen other people have success from this and all the science supports what's in the book. So I would just say if you really, you know, want a, want a prescriptive way on what I believe is success and recovery, grab the book, um, but also to find other people get a bunch of uh, uh, opinions on on how to thrive in recovery, the, the more the better, and then work it into your own personal plan. Make it yours, own it, filter it through your knowledge base, through your experiences and what you want, identify what you want out of recovery, and then don't stop until you have it and define each milestone as recovery. And then you'll be passionate about it. And when you're passionate about things, you don't stop. I love it. I love it. Listeners, if you haven't learned anything from this podcast today, listen to the amazing words from Eric. Feel his energy. He loves this type of stuff, guys. He lives for this. He lives for helping you. So, Eric, share with the listeners how they can learn more about you and how they can reach you if they need to. Well, my website is Eric, E-R-I-C, Greminger, G-R-E-M-M-I-N-G-E-R.com. I know that's a mouthful. If you just Google Eric Greminger and get close to that, it'll go to the website. Uh, also, my book, Reclaiming the Brain, Activating Sustained Recovery from Addiction, you could find on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart. If you just want to find me on social media, it's Eric Greminger. I'm pretty if you can spell my last name right, I'm pretty easy to find. There you have it, listeners. You heard it directly from Eric's mouth. Recovery is possible. You do not have to live in shame. You do not have to live in self-defeat. Thank you so much, Eric, for being a part of Elevated Voices podcast. It was an honor. It was an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices Podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, 
Or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices Podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.